This morning, God's Word comes to us from Acts 17. Acts chapter 17. We're going to begin our reading at verse 16 and then read through the end of this chapter. Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 16. What we hear now is God's word. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, that God who made the earth and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and their boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, and some men joined him and believed, 
among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to take your Trinity Psalter hymnal once again and turn to the back section to page 855 in the back. This is the Belgic Confession of Faith, one of the three doctrinal standards of our church. And this morning we are going to read Article 1. From page 855 in the back of the Trinity Psalter, Article 1, entitled, The Only God. We, believe, we all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. This is our confession of faith. Well, last week we began a series on the Word of God as summarized in the Belgic Confession. We talked about the value of confessions for the church. Uh, confessions have an apologetic value. They, they express the faith to those outside the church. They have a teaching purpose for those inside the church. We teach them to our children. And they have a use for the church as well in distinguishing one church from another. It is a fundamental confession. The Belgic Confession teaches us fundamental truths and begins with this confession about God, that there is a single, simple, spiritual being whom we call God. Or as the old version said, we believe there is one only God. That's where the confession starts. It doesn't start with us talking about who we are and what we need. It doesn't start with the world, explaining the world around us. The confession begins with God, a fundamental confession. We believe in a single, simple, spiritual being, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite and almighty, completely wise and just and good, and the overflowing source of all good. The confession begins by talking about God, who he is. And that was Paul's contact point when he spoke with the Athenians in the Areopagus. He would tell them who God is. He would tell them what God had done. Paul didn't start with the Athenians' needs. He didn't start with explaining the world. Paul began with God. That's where our confession begins as well. Remember what had been happening to Paul. He is on his second missionary journey, and so far things had not gone that well. At the beginning of chapter 17, we read, and now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, uh, where there was a synagogue of Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Paul goes to Thessalonica. But the Thessalonians don't want to hear what Paul has to say. Verse 5, But the Jews were jealous 
And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of uh, Jason. And as a result of that, Paul is sent away. He is sent on to Berea. We read about that in chapter 17, verse 10. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness. The Bereans wanted to hear the truth. Well, when the Thessalonians hear about that, we read in verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So once again, Paul has to leave. And this time, he goes to Athens. Paul in Athens. When we think about Athens, we think about the roots of Western culture. So much of what we know today and how we know things today find their origin in Athens. We think of the fact that history is recorded, is written down. That began in Athens. We think about the nature of oratory, public speaking, and the works of Demosthenes in Athens. We think about the history of thought, philosophy, of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, all in Athens the history of the sciences, the scientific method, beginning in Athens. Paul goes to Athens. The roots of Western culture, the way we live today, is influenced because of what took place in Athens so many years ago. And Paul goes to speak to them the truth about God, the one only God, and will declare to them the true God. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul goes to this city, this this cradle of civilization, and begins to look around and realizes these people are very, very religious. There are altars to all kinds of gods, a very religious people but also a very pagan people. Many altars, but altars to false gods. It is a reminder that that God has made man incurably religious. We will seek to worship something. It will either be the one true God or a false God of our own making. Man is religious. But the question is, what is his religion? Paul says, I see all these altars, a city full of idols. Very, very religious, but very pagan. And he interacts with some of the, of the big-name philosophers of the day from, chapter, from verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Who are these people, the Epicureans and the Stoics? 
The Epicureans were those who conceived of God as an impersonal force. God is an impersonal force. They would refer to God as, as a world soul. Someone who was certainly not knowable. Impersonal. That was the Epicureans' concept of who God is. And the Stoics. The Stoics, the father uh, being Zeno. Zeno, the father of the Stoics. Their concept of God was not this impersonal world soul. Their concept of God was that God is everything. Everything is God. The rocks are God, the trees are God, the grass is God. Pantheism. Everything is God. Very, very religious, but very pagan. Not unlike the culture in which we find ourselves today. We live in a culture that is very religious, that will serve something very religious, but very pagan. Finding all kinds of false gods to worship and temples at which to worship them. And into this culture, we come with a simple confession. We believe in a single, simple, spiritual being called God. That's the fundamental truth that we are to bring. And this God, this simple, simple, a single, simple spiritual being, this one only God, is a God who is knowable. A God who has revealed himself. Look at verse 22. Now Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. God is knowable. You have this altar to the unknown God, just in case they missed one, to the unknown God. I'm going to tell you that God is knowable. He is the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God of creation. That's where Paul begins in describing God to them. The God of creation. And Article 2 of the Belgian Confession is going to talk about the way in which God makes himself known through creation being one of those ways. We'll get that, that next time. He begins by describing this revealed God, revealed in creation itself. When we think about that, everything begins at creation. Our understanding of the world around us begins with the fundamental confession, God created it all. What is a man? What is a woman? These things begin at creation. What is marriage? What is family? These things begin at creation. What is the nature of the Sabbath day that begins at creation? What's the nature of the state that begins in creation? 
as God establishes his rules for the creation which he has made. God God knows the creation. He made the creation. Again from verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it being the Lord of heaven and earth. God made all things. This would answer the Stoics. The Stoics who believed everything was God. No, Paul says, God made all things. He is distinct from his creation. No pantheism that everything's God in some way. There is a distinct God, a particular God who made everything that we see around us. Creation reveals the glory of God, a God who is knowable. That God who is knowable, that God who is the creator God, is also a personal God. Going on in verse 24. The God who made the, heaven, the, the, the world and everything in them, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is not only a God of creation, he is a God of providence, a God who provides for what he made, a God who needs nothing from man. He is a single, simple spiritual being, fully God himself, needing nothing from mankind, but a God who provides for mankind. And this, this truth, this revelation, would answer the Epicureans. Those who saw God as an impersonal force, as a world soul. No, he knows what you need. He knows you. He cares about the creation he has made and he provides for it. One of the themes of the Epicurean philosophers was that we are born by chance and we live by chance and we die by chance impersonal God force world soul. Born by chance, live by chance, die by chance. What does Paul say in verse 26? And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. No chance. God determined their times. God determines their periods. God determined their boundaries. God knows the creation he has made and provides for that creation. That's the God who Paul reveals to them, a God who is creator, powerful, and yet a God who is personal, who is in control, who knows the needs of his creation. And we take great comfort from that. We have a God who is powerful, who made all that we see around us, but a God who is personal, who knows our needs, who knows our concerns, who, who calls us to reach out to him. Paul says in verse 27, God has done these things that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is not actually far 
from each one of us. God calls men and women to seek him, for he is not far. In fact, he says, your own poets have said, in him we live and move and have our being. We are indeed his offspring, taking the words of their poets and adapting them to reveal the truth he wants to tell. There is a knowable, revealed God, a God of creation and a God of providence. And then Paul goes on to talk about this knowable God, this powerful God, this personal God, and say he is also a saving God. Verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. God commands repentance. Paul says the time of ignorance God will overlook. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to some of the finest minds of the day. The Epicureans, the Stoics, those who thought they knew. And Paul says God will overlook your ignorance. Instead, he calls you, he commands you to repent. To leave the ways of ignorance. To leave the unknowable gods. And to embrace the one true God. The single, simple, spiritual being who reveals himself in creation, who saves his people. Because, he says, this God will also bring judgment. Verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. This God who is creator, this God who is provider, this God who is redeemer is also a judge. And he will come and, and judge all creation. Paul warns of that judgment. Again, verse 31, he has appointed a day to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. That's the same message we have to hear today. God has not changed. He is still that one only God, that single, simple spiritual being, who is wise and just and good. God is a just God. And as a just judge, he will not let sin go unpunished. But God will call everyone to account to be judged by what they have done. And so Paul calls out, and we call out, leave your ignorance. Leave your ignorance and repent now. Because there is a judgment that is coming. God has appointed a day, and he has appointed one to judge. And the end of verse 31 says, And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Speaking of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. 
when they heard Paul reveal who God is, a God of creation, a God of providence, a God who is a redeemer, and a God who is judge, they were intrigued. But when he spoke about Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead, that was a step too far. And some mocked. How could there be a resurrection from the dead? And again, these philosophers, it just didn't fit in their worldview that one could be raised from the dead. Some mocked what Paul had to say. Some said, we will hear you again about this. Now that sounds rather encouraging, but in the realm of oratory, to use that language, to say we will hear you again about this, really means we don't want to hear any more about it now. We want you to stop talking. You've had your turn, you got up, you said your piece, but now it's time to sit down. Not an out, out, outright mocking, but, but we just don't want to hear any more. And some, some we read, believed. Really, those are the same three responses to the gospel that we have today. When we declare Jesus Christ and his resurrection, death and resurrection, some will mock and outright reject. It does not fit their worldview. Some will say, that's a really interesting perspective that you have on, on this man, Jesus. Uh, maybe we'll talk more later, but they'll try to very quickly extricate themselves from the, con from the conversation. I don't want to hear any more. We read in verse 33, so Paul went out from their midst. There's no record in Scripture of Paul ever coming back to speak at the Areopagus. We read in verse, chapter 18, verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens. There's no record they had a chance once again to hear the message. There's no record that a Christian church was ever established in Athens. There are churches, uh, letters to the Corinthians, letters to the Ephesians, even letters to the Thessalonians. There is no letter in the New Testament to the church at Athens. This was their only opportunity. One time to hear the gospel presented. The same is true for us. We do not know what the future holds. Oh, we have, we have plans, we have our calendars, we have dates and times set out. We do not know what the future holds. If you are here this morning and have never embraced the truth of this knowable God, the God of creation and providence and redemption, please, Please don't say, I'll hear you again about this. I, I, I might come back another day. We do not know 
what the Lord has in store for us. No record they ever heard from Paul again. Today, today is the day of salvation. Today, the message of the gospel has gone out once again, and God, the knowable God, calls you to put your faith and hope and trust in him today. Don't mock. Don't mock and say it's foolishness. Don't say, I don't want to hear about it now, maybe later. But today, humble yourself before God. Embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Some mocked, some said, not right now, and some believed. Verse 34, but some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others. We don't know the names of the mockers. We don't know the names of those who said, I don't want to hear it right now. But for those who believed... Their names are written down in Scripture. Dionysius and Damaris and others with them. Their names we know. Written down in God's holy word. And as wonderful and glorious as that is, for all today who embrace Jesus Christ, who bow before him, your name will not be written in Scripture, but your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And will be written there forever. Because you know God, you will be remembered by the God who calls you, who saved you, who provides for you, and who loves you. This is the glorious God that we proclaim today. The same God Paul declared to the Areopagus. Our confession, we all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths there is a single and spirit, simple spiritual being whom we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, and almighty, completely wise and just and good, and the overflowing source of all good. Is that your confession of faith? Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you and we praise you for you are the one only God, a single, simple, spiritual being. We thank you, O oh God, that you have revealed yourself in the glories of creation around us. We thank you for your provision for that which you have made and, of course, that greatest provision for us, your children, in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for all of our sins. We know, O oh God, that there will be a final judgment, and only those who are found in him will have any hope. Oh, we pray, Lord God, that today, today we will humble ourselves before you and embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, knowing that when we belong to you, you are the God who watches over our paths, who guides our ways, the God of providence, to provide for us, to care for us, and to protect us. We thank you for the glorious truth of who you are and your wonderful revelation. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.
We're going to turn to number 440 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. 440. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Come ye sinners, come and welcome God's free bounty, glorify a true belief and true repentance, every grace that, you, that brings you nigh. Without money, without money, come to Jesus, come and buy. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you are better, you will never come at all. We're going to sing all five verses, one through five, number 440. Let's stand together as we sing.
Receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with you all. Amen. Thank you.